All right, all right. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the seventh episode now of the Academy Arguments. I am Andrew. And I'm Brittany. And I am Emmanuel. Oh, yes. There we go. There we go. Uh, <laughs> he was way ahead of me. He was ready to introduce it. himself. We are joined Hi, for our seventh Hello. episode by our good friend, Emmanuel Roldan. And Emmanuel, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, what's going on, guys? I am Emmanuel. I am a filmmaker, director, editor, jack-of-all-trades kind of thing in the, uh, in, in the film world. Um, I run Broke Boy Media with my partner, Josh Allen. And uh, yeah, I mainly work in like music videos and, and that type of content, but obviously a huge, huge movie buff. So I'm excited for this. Awesome. Awesome. And we are very excited to have you on Emmanuel, especially for this episode. For our seventh episode, we are going to be covering the, and I still can't believe I'm saying this, the Oscar winning 2016 movie Suicide Squad. Like it just, I, I'm sorry. I, it, it still feels weird saying that like. Do you need a minute, Andrew? Do, do, do you need a second? Like, I'm just still registering that, like, I have to precede that with the word Oscar winning. <laughs> the fact that we live in the world where um, us doesn't get a single Oscar and Suicide Squad did. Anywho, uh, before we dive into a discussion on, on the film, the three of us, we're all going to talk about kind of like what were our thoughts before actually going to see the film. Yes. Andrew, do you want to go first this time? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I remember, and, and it's funny because at the time that Suicide Squad came out, first came out, I was working at a movie theater. Oh, right. AMC, Yeah, I was man. working at AMC at the time that, that um, Suicide Squad came out. And, and I remember watching the previews. I mean, I was actually looking forward to this film. Like, I, I, I had really, really high hopes because David Ayer directed End of Watch, which is it's probably my favorite buddy cop film ever. And see David Ayer writing and directing Suicide Squad, and you had you know Jared Leto taking on the Joker, which had some controversy from the trailer, but like I still had high hopes. So I I went into this film with like actually pretty good expectations because I remember like I remember thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy. They're like, oh my god, this looks so stupid, and then I got shut up by Guardians of the Galaxy. So I thought it was gonna be a similar scenario. Wait, you thought Guardians of the Galaxy looked stupid? When I saw the previews, I was like, "How how could this possibly go- be a good movie?" It's a. I mean, I could see it. What are you talking about? That looked so much fun. I I thought immediately that everyone was gonna love it, and I was right. I got so. proven wrong by that. So that's why with Suicide Squad, I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna shut up and reserve my thoughts until I see it." But like, I I had high hopes going into it. So those were those were my thoughts. Okay, I have four bullet points for my before thoughts. So the first one I have is. The kind of the general consensus I knew the public had of it, which was it's a movie that was trying to build off of the Guardians of the Galaxy momentum, but it didn't work. And then I put, I don't think I ever saw the full movie. I think I saw the end. Then I put, (laughs) that being said, I don't actually remember what the ending was. Wow. And then someone dies, right? That forgettable, huh? (laughs) I mean, I probably saw this like, over four years ago. <laughs> but yeah, those are my before thoughts. Someone dies, right? I was like very convinced someone died. I was right. Many people died. Yeah, you, I mean, you, like... were, you were right. You weren't wrong. So, so there's that. All right, Emmanuel, how about your thoughts? What were your thoughts before going to see Suicide Squad for the first time? So I had some really interesting thoughts because I, the funny thing is when I saw the first trailer, it looked pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. Like I thought, okay, so here's the, here's the problem. 
I think the movie we were promised and the movie we actually got certainly are not the same movie. I, I wasn't actually opposed to Jared Leto's casting when I first heard about it. And even when I saw the trailer, I didn't think I... I was not immediately opposed to it. I think Jared Leto is a great actor. I mean, Requiem for a Dream is one of my favorite movies. And I mean, he's really good at just being a weirdo. So I wasn't super opposed to his casting. I, I mean, I think the cast in general was pretty great. Will Smith as, as Deadshot was cool. Margot Robbie kills it as Harley Quinn in every single outing. Yeah. So the, the, the casting was there. The I thought the first trailer actually looked really cool. And it was like, it was kind of dark. It was twisted, but it had kind of this like, this still kind of fun tone to it. And I was like, okay, this could be like the anti-Guardians of the Galaxy. I see what they're trying to do here. If they pull it off, it could be something really fun, silly, and but also kind of dark and unique. And then, and then I saw the movie. Yeah, it was, just, <laughs> it, it was, it was a lot of things. Yes. And it, to be fair, it was a lot of those things. It just wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think that's a, that's a good segue to start uh, breaking down some of the aspects of this film. Yeah. Yes, but before we do that, I'm just going to quickly read off what it won. So this was the 89th Academy Awards, and it won and was nominated for exactly one award, which was Best Makeup and Hairstyling, and that was Alessandro Bertolazzi, Giorgio Gregorini, and Christopher Nelson. Also, the very first DC Extended Universe film to win an Academy Award. Also, okay, this is unrelated, but I fell down a rabbit hole while I was doing my research for this, and I started reading stuff about the sequel that they're going to have of this, which isn't Birds of a Prey. I thought the sequel was Birds of a Prey for some reason, but well, it's, it's not. Well, that's like a spinoff. Yeah. So the sequel's coming out next year in 2021. Mm. Do you guys know what it's called? It's literally just called Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. No, it's called The Suicide Squad. So, okay, real quick. What? While, we're, while what? we're on that topic, here's my take on that. Uh-huh. I think they have a golden opportunity to actually redeem the whole thing. Because first of all, they have James Gunn directing it, which is mm-hmm. a fantastic choice. for. I mean, they wanted to be Guardians of the Galaxy, so might as well go to the source. And I think James Gunn is smart enough to know what he's getting himself into. Mm-hmm. And if he does what I think he's going to do, and basically just make this film, the new one, the sequel, be super self-aware of exactly what it is and what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And like, if it's actually self-aware of that and, and, and he can get kind of meta with it, the fact that it's called The Suicide Squad, I think is part of the joke. Like, they could make that part, part of the joke, part of the humor, and just mm-hmm. make it really fun and have fun with that concept. I mean, the producer of the movie straight up said that the sequel was going to be like a soft reboot mm-hmm. of the series. Like they and they're replacing Will Smith with Idris Elba. They have uh, Taika Waititi coming in playing a role. I believe John Cena is also playing. Oh, a role. I'm so excited! That, yeah. That's so, so cool. <laughs> I think the fact that we're that we're all talking about the the standalone sequel this way already kind of shows it's what our thoughts are about. No, that's the problem. <laughs> See, and, and, and you're 100% right, and it, it, it's a disaster in every, in every sense of the, of the word, but I feel like they have a golden opportunity to make light of that disaster. You know, like, if, if they realize that it's sure. a train wreck, if they realize that this whole thing is a train wreck and have fun with that, I feel like it could end up being a really good time of a movie. 
Yeah. I mean, like, here was my, my biggest problem with this movie, because apparently this is the first time I've ever seen it full through, mm-hmm. was that it felt like three different movies. It yeah. felt like we had the Suicide Squad, which was more of a fun, upbeat kind of, like, villains being villains type vibe. Then we had the Joker story, which was a little darker. And then we had the Enchantress story, which was kind of like a pseudo horror, but not very good. Yeah. 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 And the three tones just didn't blend very well together. Well, my, my main problem with the whole thing was so like, and again, if we're comparing it to guardians of the galaxy, what makes that film work is so Guardians of the Galaxy, unlike the Avengers, mm-hmm. didn't have all of their characters set up in a prior, in prior mm-hmm. films. They had to mm-hmm. set them all up at once. And that's the challenge that you have with kind of an ensemble film like that. The reason it kind of works for Guardians of the Galaxy is because prior to that movie, none of those characters are known. Like, you can make this movie about the group and build them up as a group together mm-hmm. because they're all unknown C-list characters. But with Suicide Squad, you've got Joker, you've got Harley Quinn, even Deadshot, like these, and, and like Killer yeah. Croc is a Batman villain. Like, these are characters Amanda that, Waller, yeah. Right, like these yeah. are characters that people do already know. And I feel like the movie just kind of jumped the gun to putting them all together and never really telling us who they are or why they are, why they are who they are. They just kind of assume like, Oh, you know who Harley Quinn is. Right. So yeah, let's just do this. And it's like, wait a second. What, what's, mm-hmm. what's going on here? We have, we don't know who this Harley Quinn is. Yeah. And the ones that we aren't really well, uh, familiar with like Katana, we don't really get much time with them. Yeah. They're kind of just yeah. there in the background. Yeah, like, I like mean, Boomerang, literally, I like, has what, two lines? Yeah, I mean, Rick Flag even said, like, Rick Flag even said, like, oh, I almost forgot. This is Katana. And it's like, it's almost like the screenwriter was just saying, oh, <laughs> shit, right. The, yeah, this character, like. Yeah, I, and I love, too, how he's like, yeah, anyone she kills, give, like, their soul gets trapped in her sword. Like, that's just thrown in as a yeah. line of exposition. It's like, exactly. really? Because that sounds awesome. I'd love to know about that. Yo, Katana is such a fascinating character like her backstory is insane and it's full of drama she could have her own that movie. could be a whole movie just katana yeah. just her backstory and that's another thing too like they that's they they set up they well no they don't set it up but they explore this whole romance or anti-romance or or, or complicated oh, relationship or whatever between harley quinn and the joker as if we're supposed to know that they were ever involved or how they got, you know, together, what happened. Like, it's just, it's, there's so many things that are just there and completely mm-hmm. underdeveloped. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about the makeup and hairstyling, right, guys? Cause wow, like, we got way off track. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, props to the people who did it because I didn't see anything wrong. I'm, no, it looks great. Killer Croc Yeah, no, it was great. It was good. I loved Harley Quinn's design, though I had a ton of problems of her just being in her underwear the whole time. The the only thing that I will ding them for is Joker's design. But like What? I wasn't I didn't have a problem with it. So okay, I might I might drop a hot take here real quick. I don't necessarily hate Joker's design, nor do I necessarily hate Jared Leto's portrayal of the character mm-hmm. either. Like I don't think he did a bad job and I don't think he looks terrible it's it's definitely different it's a it's a different take on it i don't think it's bad it all comes down to the plot and the writing that is what ruined it i think if i think you if you gave jared leto a better script and he still played that iteration of the joker just in an actually good movie i think it could work 
Yeah, like everyone kept saying that they hated Jared Letter's Joko, but when I was watching this, I'm like, I don't have a problem with this. It's different. It's not like Heath Ledger's Joker, which everyone is so obsessed with, or even if which we're going it like in be. terms. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Or in terms of like voice actor, it's not Mark Hamill's Joker, but it's a different Joker. And I wanted to see a different Joker. We all knew he wasn't going to play the same Joker. And I was like, yeah, this is this is actually an interesting take. Don't confuse my like distaste with the design for my distaste for his of, of his portrayal. I think his portrayal was actually sure. like, nowhere near as, as as bad as I think everybody takes it out to be. Like you said, I think it has everything to do mm -hmm. with the quality of the film that surrounded his portrayal. Definitely. You know, I think what helped... Keith Ledger a million times over was the fact that his performance was in a film that was right up there with his performance. Yeah, but the design, you were not a fan of the design. Yeah, well, I think for me, it's like having literally damaged, like, tattoos on his <laughs> forehead was yeah, like... a little on the nose. That's a little, little on the nose there, you know? It's like that. You're just really trying to, like, just get us with a message now. That being said, I actually, I did appreciate... You know, the, the Joker that they were trying to build here was like this kind of like underground nightclub owner. Yeah. Skeezy, this very skeezy businessman kind of thing. And so putting him in that environment, I think the tattoos and all of that, it worked. Like it makes a lot of sense. I, I, I agree. I don't think having damaged across his forehead was the most, you know, tasteful or subtle way to do that but i but i don't necessarily have a problem i know a lot a lot of people just were like why does he have tattoos and i, I don't think that was so much of a big deal as much as it was just the actual execution of it and you have to remember that this is the dc universe which is obsessed with trying to make their things dark it wants to be edgy it wants to be dangerous so they will make like a gangster nightclub joker as opposed to the cartoon Joker we see Mark Hamill per You can thank Christopher Nolan for, for getting DC started down the dark path. Yeah, and, but you know what's so funny to me about that is there's there's this interesting like dichotomy that everybody always wants to to say like oh like Marvel is the 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 colorful fun superhero movies and DC are, is like the grim dark superhero movies and I feel like that's a really surface level like shallow way of looking at it because. I mean, if you're just looking at it aesthetically, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, if okay, sure. If you put a screenshot of Batman versus Superman next to a screenshot of, like, the first Avengers movie, yeah, that's what it's going to look like. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, like, Infinity War is an incredibly dark movie. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, the Winter Soldier, <laughs> Captain America the Winter Soldier is an incredibly dark movie. And then you have, on, on DC side, you have in many regards, Suicide Squad and then like the new Birds of Prey movie are actually really fun and colorful and upbeat. So I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's a really, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're almost like, like talking points rather than, yeah, yeah. than anything. You know what? Emmanuel, you've changed my mind. I'm going to take my point back. I'm going to no, clarify I, something. I don't think your point's wrong. Because I, no, I, no, think, no. I think you're but 100 I, I know what you're right, saying. Because I know that DC, DC definitely tries to be super edgy. I think DC movies take themselves a lot more seriously yeah. than Marvel movies do. Marvel movies, I'm not going to say they're lighthearted because when they go dark, they they do go dark. I mean, you like you said, Infinity War is a great example. Mm -hmm. But I think they are they buy into the fact that they are a superhero film more. Mm -hmm. You know what you know what it is? I think even when dark even when Marvel movies can get dark, there's this element of hope that's always there like the characters are so good hearted and and there's always this element of hope that no matter how dark things get like the characters are always kind of like sticking through it mm -hmm. and with like the dc movies 
I feel like when they get dark, there it's just hopelessness. It's crushing. Like Superman doesn't even smile, and it's like, what? That's he's Superman. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Superman yells a lot. He yells a lot. He does a lot of yelling. I, with some of the newer movies like Shazam and Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman, even like I can mm-hmm. tell that they're trying. They're kind of like seeing some of their mistakes from the past and are Aquaman trying to too. Ste- Aquaman, yeah, and are trying to steer towards something else and i like the direction they're heading a lot more like i haven't seen birds of prey yet but i saw a clip the other day of this giant fight scene that's taking place in what looks like a fun house and i am like wow this is so ridiculous and i love it yo believe it or not it's perfect believe it or not birds of prey was actually super dope like i really really no i hear yeah it's so good I it's it's not perfect. It's certainly flawed. But as far like as, as far as DC movies go, I would I would say it's the best one they've put out. Yeah. Okay. Well, to be fair, I haven't seen Shazam. Shazam is pretty good. Which I hear Shazam, is incredible. Shazam is pretty good. Shazam is really good. Yeah. I hear it's but, incredible. I haven't seen Shazam, but I would put I would say Birds of Prey is better than Wonder Woman. Gotcha. I I haven't seen it yet. So this just proves my point that we should give all DC movies over to women. Like you know, we got Wonder Woman, we got no. Birds of the Prey. Yep. Those are the high points. We should just give it to women. We'll fix it. <laughs> that being said, this may be a hot take as well. I was not <laughs> super huge a fan of Wonder Woman. Really? Yeah, I. That's okay. I, it's interesting. I at the time, I definitely would agree that it was the best of the DC movies, but that's not necessarily saying much. <laughs> so I don't know. I think. I think Wonder Woman was an incredibly important movie. Absolutely. It's it's absolutely ridiculous that we had to wait this long to get a Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. Considering how iconic she is. That's something that we should have gotten years ago. I just wasn't a huge fan of it. I thought, it, I, especially in the final act, I think it gets really hokey. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think, I think Gal Gadot is incredible. Yeah, she's perfect for that. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, and the movie's certainly not terrible. Just not my favorite. All right, I'm going to reel it back in to Suicide Squad. <laughs> Just, you know. No, we don't, we can talk. We clearly don't want to talk about this movie, Andrew. Oh, man, guys. Okay. All Let's right. see if we can go an entire episode not talking about the movie we're supposed to be talking about. All right, so, okay. Real quick. Real quick, yeah, yeah. just because I know that this was a point that was trying to be made about the, the fact that it won the Academy Award for, for makeup. I thought the makeup was good. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know if I would say it deserved an Academy Award necessarily, especially when, didn't Star Trek also come out that same year? Which yeah, had, Star like, Trek Beyond. Star Trek Beyond, yeah. Yeah, like some incredible practical uh, stuff that they were doing with the makeup. If anything, I feel like Suicide Squad should have won for like production design because I thought the production design on it was awesome. Like, oh, the way the... I disagree. Really? Uh-oh. Interesting. I mean, it was the... Very typical New York destroyed by metahumans. And it looked like the set of every single superhero movie you ever see. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, like, and here's the thing. I'm not knocking the production designer because that works. It works Mm -hmm. for these movies. That's what you need to see to understand the larger story as a whole. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's anything, like, special. No, I don't necessarily think it's special. I think I just I think they did a really good job of especially like capturing Gotham 
Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't <laughs> think this took place in Gotham. I thought there was at least a part. Cause, there well, there was a scene. Was... Some, some of the flashback scenes did occur in Gotham. I, I know it takes place in Midway City, but like the, the, the flashback scenes, especially like when they're introducing Deadshot. And, and doesn't, doesn't the scene in Joker's nightclub take place in Gotham? Yes, that takes place okay. in Gotham. And the uh, Deadshot flashback takes place in Gotham, but the rest doesn't. Uh, no, the, also the oh, okay. towards, towards the end of the introduction of Harley Quinn also takes place in Gotham, too. Oh, yeah, the, the Joker stuff. Anyway, I thought all of that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was fine. Okay, can we just <laughs> jump in to the movie? Like, Let's do it. Do you want to just start at the beginning where we're introduced to our superheroes? You know what? Yeah, I think for me, for me and I've seen this film probably about four or five times because when I was working my movie theater job, I watched movies versus talking to people. That's, that's like, that's how I passed the time in between uh, stuff. And like, that makes sense. So I, I saw Suicide Squad probably like five times. I don't know why I did that to myself in hindsight. Yeah, but, I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> honestly, I, I don't think Suicide Squad would have been as bad of a movie as it was if the 20 minutes, first 20 minutes didn't give us so much hope. With the Wait. awesome introductions of each character, and then just squander it. No, no, no. I gotta disagree with you. I'm yeah. not saying the introductions were bad. They were just... The beginning of the movie is just like a half hour of exposition. Mm -hmm. And I liked the introduction where we have Viola Davis going over the files and being like... This that's is that's what I'm have. talking about. Have. I just wish it was shorter. Because it went on for so long where you're at a point where you're like, this isn't... Okay, like, we get it. We get who these people are. But do we need to know all this right up front? Am I going to be able to remember this? I may sound like a broken record here, but it's almost as if we should have seen these characters in other movies first <laughs> before they tried to throw them all into one. Yeah, yeah. They really jumped the gun on this because it's one of those movies that could have worked, but they just they were they were too excited to get the payoff of a big team up Avengers movies movie without doing the legwork to get there. And yeah. the, a movie like Suicide Squad would have, could have, and should have worked if we had already seen a movie in which each of these villains was actually a villain. Then we would have been excited to see them come together and play the heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, we had, I, I liked at the beginning where we had, like, that really tiny bite of who they are. Like, we had Deadshot with that asshole being, like, you better double my money or else I'm gonna shoot this guy. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm an actor, guys. Can't you see how well I remember my lines? <laughs> um, but what I didn't like was that on top of that, we also saw, like, Deadshot's thing with his daughter. We saw Harley Quinn at the nightclub with the Joker, and we had all that scene. We saw her scene with her as his psychologist. And I'm like, this is the part where it's too much. You're giving us too much information about these characters. We just need a quick little info about who they are, and you can disperse this information either in a larger cinematic universe or throughout the movie. But they also tried doing that, too. Like, especially with Harley Quinn, they kind of dispersed it throughout the film, too. Like, especially, like, the scene where she jumps into those chemicals for, for Joker and all that. Yeah, Not only that, but it was also incredibly unbalanced because we got a huge mm -hmm. amount of backstory for Harley and we got a huge amount of backstory for Deadshot. Yeah. And then, like, next to nothing for Killer Croc or, like, Diablo or any of the other ones that we already know uh, yeah. already mentioned. We don't know anything about Captain nothing. Boomerang. And first of all, 
Captain Boomerang is one of the stupidest superhero names there is. <laughs> the only one who can have the name Captain Boomerang is Sokka from Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> That's I just needed to put my two cents in. I hate that name for a superhero. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, honestly, the thing that got on my nerves big time throughout the film is like they were clearly trying to be Guardians of the Galaxy 2.0 with bringing in all this music and all these. Like, I remember oh, like when, dude, when they bring Deadshot to the firing range. And then Black Skinhead starts playing. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, Or, like, I think they, they started playing Eminem when, like, I think that was during the prison scene towards the beginning when, like, Harley is changing out of her uniform or whatever. I don't necessarily think that those songs were out of place for the tone of the movie. I think they fit. It was just integrated so poorly. I really minded at the end when they put in Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. for like mm. the epilogue where are they now which is in prison maybe i should have done a little bit more research on this on this particular point but did anybody else hear that there were like a whole bunch of reshoots that they did for this movie yeah there were sure reshoots there were. okay yeah. that's what i thought that's what i they thought did reshoots and... in chicago oh really yeah. that's that's kind of cool and, and i could be wrong about this but i had heard uh, maybe you guys can can tell me whether or not this is true. But I had heard that ori- the the original version, if you will, of Suicide Squad was intended to be a little bit more serious and a little bit more dramatic. The original version was going to be much darker. Yeah. Right, and then and then I I think, or the the popular theory is that Deadpool came out and was so successful that they wanted to make the movie goofier, and so they did these reshoots to add like more comedy and more of the silliness. And I think that's why you ended up with such a huge tone issue. And I wonder, honestly, what the original cut would have been like before they did that, and if it mm-hmm. would have been better, and if the tone would have made a lot more sense, if that was the original intention. Yeah. Viola Davis, I feel like, exists in a much darker world than everyone oh, else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that fits for Amanda Waller, because Amanda Waller's just this badass who will shoot her own people because she doesn't want them to know shit. Like, I get that for Amanda Waller. I like that. I do think, like, she was probably operating on the assumption that this was a much darker movie than it yeah. turned out to be. Yeah. And it makes, a lot of the stuff makes sense that way. I, yeah. I mean, like, I anytime Viola Davis speaks on screen, I love her, so... Yeah, the tone the tone is really all over the place. I mean, the the music I feel like was an afterthought when when probably after like the reshoots when they were like, oh, let's make this movie goofier and more fun. That's when all the music started to get incorporated, and it just it feels like nobody really knew what the movie was supposed to be. Yeah, no, and and, and it's I mean it's it's a real shame too because like this is this isn't the first time where a studio's intervened and and an attempt to fix the movie ironically made it worse. Don't get me started on studio interference of superhero movies, because I will I will defend Spider Man Three till the day I die. But that's oh, that's, that's, that's for a different will. podcast. Emmanuel, you shouldn't. Oh, oh, get get me on a podcast and we'll talk about Spider Man Three because I promise you I will change your mind. Put it this way: after af- after hearing my hot takes on that on that film, you may not walk away thinking it was a good film, but you will walk away thinking, ah, I gave it more crap than I should have. I mean, I give most movies more crap than I should have. That's my <laughs> that's whole gimmick right, on this fair. podcast. <laughs> all right, all right. So I now mean, gonna... without that, where would I be? Well, okay, and to bring it to bring it all back home to what we're talking about, in a world 
where a movie like Suicide Squad exists, we all owe Spider-Man 3 an apology. No. <laughs> I think that's the quote of the episode right there. <laughs> well, this I, I think this movie's far worse. Like, as far as superhero offenders go, this, this movie is not very good. I think this movie is a mess, but I also think it's better than some of the other DC Extended Universe movies that got put out, like Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. Really? Really? Oh my god, they're Interesting. awful. They're awful movies. Oh, I'm not saying they're good, but, but I, I... I do think this is kind of better than those movies, and I mean, I would take this movies Ooh. over some of the other movies we've done in this podcast, like <laughs> Gravity. Uh, okay, <laughs> you know what? I would still, you know... Well, I'm not a fan of that movie either. I would still take this movie over Annie Hall. Yeah, I'd take this movie over Annie Hall too, and Gravity, because Gravity's Well, garbage. that is your opinion. You can keep it to yourself. All I can say is I, I don't know if I can justifiably say that I would enjoy this movie more than Batman vs. Superman or Man of Steel. Because I feel like while those are not necessarily good movies, like for, for example, Batman vs. Superman, not necessarily a good movie, and I won't, I won't try to argue that it is, but I feel like I at least had fun. Really? Well, yeah, because like, look at it this way, look at it this way. I walked out of that movie thinking, okay, that was not a good movie. But the 10-year-old boy inside of me who grew up reading comic books just got to see Batman and Superman duke it out on screen. Like, at least there's that novelty of, like, seeing two of the most iconic heroes just on screen together in that, in, in that form was just something awesome to see. Where something like Suicide Squad, there's no... There, I don't think there's any of that novelty because these characters aren't nearly as beloved so it's it's like not only did i not get to see anything i was excited for but it also sucked i'm i'm curious would you did yeah. you enjoy this movie more than justice league i have not seen justice league cuz personally i enjoyed this movie more than justice league interesting yeah and i i don't doubt that but because that's that's kind of why i've avoided seeing that movie because i just heard absolutely nothing but bad things so it's just like i'm not gonna waste my time i don't like ben affleck as batman really really no no no. because here's the thing i am a really big fan of the batman comics and mm -hmm. i've seen like a lot of uh dc animated shows here's the thing dc isn't doing so well on movies but with their animated shows they do oh, a they great kill job it. oh yeah they, they kill, kill it, it. But I like Batman as a character. I think he is mm -hmm. super fascinating. And I mean, he's such a beloved and big character for most people. And I don't think Ben Affleck plays him right. Like, he gets the dark part. But there is something, like, really, really smarmy about him that I think is tonally wrong. Interesting. There is some, some kind of vibe he is giving off that is kind of creepy. Like, I, Batman, don't get me wrong, Batman himself is a creep. He surveils everyone, he takes justice into his own hand. He's also a rich white playboy. But in other mediums, it doesn't mm -hmm. come across as creepy. Interesting. If that makes sense. It comes across as he has his own agenda. Mm -hmm. Right. But with Ben Affleck, something is just so wrong about it that I cannot wrap my head around. And I don't think Ben Affleck is a bad actor. I really don't. No, I think he's great. Yeah, and and that, it's interesting that you say that because I I've never heard that take on on his portrayal, and I actually quite like Ben Affleck in the role. I think it's another case of with with most of the DC films, at least in my opinion, it's it's not a case of bad casting; it's just bad writing. Personally, I really would have loved to see 
Ben Affleck with a good Batman script because I think as far as like I think like physically he looks he looks the part I think it, I, I felt like he was menacing in the role of Batman it made me afraid that's of him that's another thing I don't think he's threatening really no not oh, at all oh I think he was wow. he's, he, he acts like he is trying to be threatening but it's wow. not worthy huh. interesting and that was my biggest problem with Batman versus Superman because we had these two actors who were both trying to seem like really, really big in these iconic characters and I felt like they just weren't living up to it. I also had like some problems with fight scenes as well. I always have problems with fight scenes in DC movies because they move too fast and you can't see anything. And that's not a, what a good fight scene mm. should be. You should see the action play out before you so you can actually understand the story of the fight. But with Man of Steel, it's like, let's just go super fast and break through every building and not give you a clue as to what's actually happening with the freaking... Um, this, it irritates me. This is why I really wish you had seen Birds of Prey because... I will say Birds will. of Prey has some of my favorite fight choreography that I have seen in years. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by that by that uh, film as far as fight scenes go. I will see it. This is a good segue into the acting performances in Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't have much problems. Like acting yeah, wise? Yeah, honestly, I didn't no, have me neither. Problems. Margot Robbie, she's fantastic as Harley Quinn. And you can tell she's having the time of her life, which I just love seeing in actors because when they have fun, the audience has fun. Mm -hmm. um, Viola Davis, I would I would watch her eat bread, like honestly, because <laughs> she would do a good job. Yeah. Will Smith as Deadshot, very good. Yeah, I mean, even like when he's saying the "What are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad?" line, like he almost almost makes it work. You know, and that's the thing. Like that movie is so campy. You know what? You know where I think the tone issues come in is that the whole movie is super campy, but it doesn't want to admit it. Yes. Like it, it wants. If they had it just wants to be super into the serious. Camp, yeah. Been so good. Dude, I tell you what. If they had gotten my man Sam Raimi to direct that movie, because that man is the <laughs> king of camp. Like Evil Dead, Spider Man, Drag Me to Hell. Like that dude knows how to how to take campy and make it work and make it fun. Like yes, it's campy. Yes, it's hokey. But that's the charm of it. And if they had leaned into that and actually, you know, then then a line with Will Smith saying something like, "What are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad?" would have actually worked and and been super fun. The one guy I had problem with was uh, the Colonel dude. Just because, not because I think he was a bad actor, but I didn't buy his motivation, which was that love story between him and the Enchantress. Oh, I forgot about that. That's one thing where I actually am like, okay, we need a little bit more here because we're expected to believe they're in love, but I didn't buy their love story like at all. Maybe it was the chemistry between the actors, but I'm like, none of this makes sense to me. I don't feel this. While we're on the topic of Enchantress, and, and honestly, it's 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 something that affects this movie and I think the DC universe in general, is that like going into this movie, you're expecting, well, you're expecting a lot of things that aren't delivered on. But you you go in and you're like, okay, these are all like super villains, sure, whatever. We don't know a whole lot about them. It's like okay, they're gonna get together and they're gonna work and there's gonna be some sort of plot. They they have to be heroes, yada yada yada. And then all of a sudden, they're like, by the way, there's this evil witch, and her heart is stolen, and there's a giant sky beam and interdimensional, like, portals, and I'm like, where did all of this come from? It feels <laughs> completely out of place. Because you have Viola Davis and her character, and the, and the more grounded main characters, in this 
what feels like it's supposed to be this kind of like espionage spy thriller almost kind of thing but they're going up against this fantasy world threatening level event and it's like how and it feels like if you were to take something like oceans 11 and like mash it together with the avengers it's like those it just should not those that doesn't work and then add in a mobster story Right, and and I think that's the problem with with the DC universe in general is is because the characters are so underdeveloped. You have all of these elements of like fantasy and sci-fi, corporate espionage, and all of these different genres. That I understand that in comic book movies, that a lot of these different genres can work together because like Marvel's done it, where they have like a character like Thor that will be with a character like Iron Man, and it makes sense. But because they didn't develop any of these characters individually, you have these magical elements. And these grounded elements and you're trying to like you're trying to make these puzzle pieces that don't fit together fit together and it and it's not a pretty picture we don't know the rules of this world exactly exactly and it's like and i didn't like i didn't even know that enchantress was gonna be the villain and then i go and i'm like this is way out of, how did this become a magical movie all of a sudden <laughs> I, like I said, I saw the ending of this movie before I saw any other part of this oh, movie. Oh, so you had to be super confused. So I knew Entra- Enchantress was the villain because, like, yeah. she's the big final boss. Mm-hmm. But, and then at the beginning, we have Viola Davis introducing her as someone she controls. And I'm like, hang on a sec. Isn't she the villain? Right. She's on their side? What's happening here? They're not... And then they don't get back to it until, like, almost an hour into the movie. Yeah. And I'm like, what is happening? Just set her up as the villain to begin with. I think that's the most crushing part of all of this, is that the performances themselves were were actually pretty good, and that that's including Jared Leto. But, like, some of the lines were just so, what the fuck is this? It just... It, it brings everybody down. And, and it sucks, because, like... David Ayer, who created one of my favorite films ever, came in and just, it just crumbled. Granted, it's not completely his fault. Well, fingers point to him. Sure. Uh, But but you kind of answered my question already. But I mean, that, let me ask you this, then how much of the blame do you put on the director in a case like this? Like how much, Mm -hmm. how much blame does he really deserve versus how much of it was studio interference versus how much of it was... You know what I mean? There's so many factors that go into, especially big Hollywood budgets, like big big budget Hollywood movies, that mm-hmm. it's hard to place blame in a, in a situation like this. Andrew, before you answer that, can I ask you both one question about yeah. Hollywood movies in general that has always just flummoxed me? Yeah. Why do we credit the movie to the director? Like, I get it when the director is also the screenwriter. But we always say, like, the first Guardians of the Galaxy is James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy, but he didn't write the whole script himself. Why do we always credit the movie to the director? Because the, the director oversees everything. He oversees the budget. He, well, he doesn't oversee the budget, but he oversees the performances. He oversees, like, just every aspect of, of the, the film. It's his responsibility. What I've heard is, is that it's also the fact that, like, the director more or less is responsible for the vision of the film if that makes sense like okay even if they didn't necessarily write it it's their interpretation of the script it's their vision that's being put to film so it's like they're responsible for communicating to all of the different departments like this is what i want out of the movie like i guess the the best way that i always kind of put it is like the director is the conductor and everybody else is the orchestra you know oh that's a good analogy okay 
So this was all his fault then. Suicide Squad <laughs> was all this director's fault. I mean, from what you've just told me, this was all his fault. Well, no, it's well, his vision. It was his. He was overseeing everything. This was right. All and his you're you're fault. you're right. But here, here's here's my take. Here's why I, th- I don't think we, that the director should be 100% blamed in a case like this because I like your analogy that the director is the conductor and that everybody else is part of the orchestra. The dire- the the conductor could be conducting the hell out of the the sheet music that he is given but if the song itself is just not a good song if it's just dissonant and the chords don't work and the notes don't match and it's just a mess of uh of sheet music it doesn't matter how well the conductor is conducting the orchestra it's still gonna sound bad so we only credit the director when the movie is good we only well, say uh, it was James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy when Guardians of the Galaxy is a smash hit, and it was we give him the credit. But if it sucks, like Suicide Squad, yes, we have a director, but it's not really his project. It's he had a shitty script. There was all this other stuff that the, wasn't. The, in, in, I would in, say in the opinion, like I'm saying, like you can't have it both. No, ways. In, in yeah, my no, opinion, I agree. I would still, say it's still David Ayer's fault because he's the one that chose to stick around. He didn't. <laughs> He chose to, he chose to stick around because like Edgar Wright got up and left from Ant Man because he knew and that movie still ended up good. Yeah, that movie was great. But he understood that like if he stuck around, he, even though if you went whining like oh well Marvel made me do this Marvel made me do that it's still his it's still his name. He chose to stick around instead of leaving, and it's same thing with David Ayer. Yeah. David Ayer could have left at several different points throughout production here's the thing well, I think... we don't know what his contract was and and because he chose to stick around that's his name slapped on it as director and it's ultimately his fault you know it, it is you're not wrong i guess the answer is yes when a when a when a movie is good the director gets all the credit and 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 yes when the movie is bad people will say it's not completely his fault and yes that is wrong but yeah, no. But it's still, all of those things. I, I I would still say that this is David Ayer's fault. Like I he he has to own up to that, you know. Um, in in the same way that like even though Birds of Prey is is you know uh it's still a a, a pretty darn good DC film, like Kathy Yen still has to answer for the film's dismal box office performance, you know. I mean, I'm pretty sure COVID has to answer for the. Dismal box office, but but still, like, she, no, nevertheless, she's the one. Stay getting, inside, everyone. She's the one getting hounded with the questions from Hollywood Reporter. Nevertheless, like when she's thrown into the ring, she's the one that's going to get those questions. Then, and even then, though, and even then, though, and and again, this may just be me being somebody who's into filmmaking, being forgiving of that. Is that if you ask me? Yes, you're right. She is the one who has to answer for that. But if you ask me, I don't think that's fair because it's not her fault people didn't want to go see this movie. A lot of people didn't want to go see this movie because Suicide Squad was so bad. And so if they hear this is a spinoff of a character from that movie, they're not going to waste their time. That movie sucked. Why would they go see a movie that's related to it? You know what I mean? So it's not the director's fault people aren't coming out to see it. There's a lot of factors there that you're right. She has to answer for it. She has to, yeah. I think my biggest problem is with Hollywood in general. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a sewage dump of a town, so yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but like my biggest problem is with the Hollywood practice or the world practice, I guess, of crediting the, of saying that the movie is the director's creation, and when it's it's 
obviously it's not like obviously it's the performance of the actors it's the cinematographer it's the screenplay it's the people that come in to revise the screenplay it's the dp it's the gaffers for god's sakes it's the production designers it's the costume designers and and the fact that it's always just the director who we all credit it for seems so ridiculously bonkers to me and i don't get why they get the credit and maybe that's because I'm a person in the industry as well and I understand that there are so many parts that make a whole but just it's just a thing with me I, don't I, like I agree it. I, I agree it, it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense the example I would give is it's kind of like if you look at like a musician say I don't know who, who's who's a, a hot musician right now that that tours and performs or something I don't know um somebody like you would know more than us, Emmanuel. A lot of these people don't write the songs themselves. They have co-writers, and, and there's plenty of people credited as writers on the album, and uh, they deserve credit for that. And, and I completely agree. I wish the world gave more credit to the people behind the scenes that do all of these different roles that put the artist in the position to succeed and to, be, to get the reception that they get. But yet, at the end of the day, we still all just say, hey, Brendan Urie is great. And none of us give any thanks to like all of his whole team behind him. And when it comes down to it, I think it's it's the it's the responsibility of the person in that position to to they need to be the one to stand up and say like, hey, I didn't do this all myself. This is my team, and these are the people who helped me. And a lot of, a lot of people will do that, but a lot don't. It's I don't know. I agree. It's it's a messed up thing. It's just I'm not I'm not sure there's any way around it. Okay, so. All right, so now we're going to just kind of uh, go one by one, each kind of giving our um, just final thoughts and whether or not we'd recommend this film. Starting with, uh, let's start with Emmanuel. All right, final thoughts. Is it a good movie? No. It's, it's a great cast. It's a cute idea. And I think aesthetically, it's, it's, it's fun. It, I, I like the look of it. I, 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 I actually don't mind the kind of like over the top cotton candy look. Um, it's it's certainly ugly, but I think it works for what it's trying to do. I think the the makeup and costume was was awesome. Cast was awesome. It's just it all comes down to it's just not a good script and the tone is all over the place. Would I recommend it? Uh, I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes. I recommend it. And the only reason I would ever recommend somebody watch this movie is so that way they can fully appreciate. Birds of Prey, because Birds of Prey is awesome. And if, if James Gunn's The Suicide Squad ends up being as fun as I think it's going to be. So then stupid. I know, but it, but it is stupid, but that's the thing. It's so stupid, it just might work. Then I think it would be worth seeing the original Suicide Squad to fully appreciate that as well. Yeah, so, like, it's not a good movie. I mean, it's super messy. It's like they tried to squeeze three very different movies into one movie. They didn't give us the right context for things. When they did give us exposition, it was way too much. I don't know how they gave us somehow not enough and way too much exposition, but they did manage to pull it off. So props for you, movie. <laughs> <laughs> a whole bunch of exposition, but yet zero development. Overall, and this might just be because a lot of the movies we have watched on this podcast are most of the movies I've watched in the past two months, and I just have hated so many of them, I would actually recommend watching this. I mean, it's messy, and it's not great, 
it doesn't make a lot of sense, but is it fun? Kinda. It's not a bad watch. I yeah, I, was, no, I, I agree with that. I was kind of entertained while I watched it. So, yeah, I would say give it a watch. I mean, know what you're getting into. Don't have too high expectations. But, yeah, if you're just looking for something to do with friends, maybe get drunk while you do it. If you want to watch a clown and a crocodile blow shit up, I mean, <laughs> what what more could you expect? For, for my recommendation, if you want to see some Oscar-winning quality makeup and hairstyling, have I got the film for you. Where is this going? <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I would say watch it. Like, I, I'm, like you said, like, don't go in expecting, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, because you'll be sorely disappointed. But, like, honestly, like, I, I think it's still, like, a pretty okay time in of itself. It's a good way to just kill two hours. And, like Emmanuel said, it's going to provide good context for what will hopefully be a much better version of this come next year. If you're looking for a wonderful mix of music and film, uh, this is not the film, though. Real quick, I know we got to wrap it up, but I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Keep, we can keep it super brief. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you think slash would you want to see more of Jared Leto's Joker in the future? I don't think we were gonna see more of it of his in the future, considering that no, in the animation at the beginning of Birds of Prey, they don't even yeah. do Jared Leto's version. No, of it the seemed Joker. like they tried to completely retcon it, like completely just swipe it into the carpet. Guys, you are spoiling some hard shit for me right now. It's it's right at the beginning, <laughs> like it's in the first like two minutes of the film. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not spoiling too much for you right now. Yeah, no, I think honestly, like honestly, DC's kind of embarrassed. Of, of Jared Leto's version. Which isn't the reason they should be I embarrassed. I know. That's, I completely agree with you. I completely. I would have loved to have seen more. I would have loved yeah. to have seen more of, of his version. Like, yeah, like DC seems to be embarrassed of the whole thing. And, and, and that's not what they have to be embarrassed about. Like, they shouldn't be embarrassed of Jared Leto's Joker. They should just be embarrassed of the whole movie. But that doesn't, just like how Margot Robbie could still continue the character after that bad movie, I think Jared Leto should have gotten a shot too. And I, I don't think he was given a fair shot. And I, I think that's a shame, honestly. I mean, I don't think he needs his own Joker movie, but I don't think he did a bad job. I thought he was a very fascinating portrayal of the Joker that I haven't seen before. All right, so now we're going to move on, and um, we're going to give some recommendations. Okay, so we'll first start off with uh, the plugs. Emmanuel, you, you, got, you get dibs. Okay, uh, what am I plugging? Okay, so my social media handle on everything is my name underscore. So it's just at Emmanuel Roldan underscore. You can find me on any social media platform with that handle, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok now. I'm there. I haven't posted anything, but I'm there. You're a talker? I Well, I don't post anything. I just, Emmanuel, I just have pull one. out your TikTok, record a TikTok, do it right now on this podcast live. <laughs> oh God. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I, I'm going to do it. Oh shit. Do okay. It, no, please. no, no. He's doing it. Go. He's Never going for it. on the podcast. No, uh, it's okay, be Brittany. You got, you're getting what you asked for. The dumb thing is that this is the first TikTok that I'm going to ever have go up. We're honored. Okay, here we go. Okay, this is my first TikTok and I'm doing it because I was asked to on this podcast that I'm on. Hola. And there's Andrew. Maybe you've heard this podcast. Maybe you haven't. I look like crap right now, but this is my first TikTok. We are honored. We are super honored, Emmanuel. There we go. 
Other than that, I also, I mentioned at the beginning, I run uh, Broke Boy Media with my partner, Josh Allen. We make music videos and vlogs and a bunch of other type of content. It's funny, we talked a whole lot about on this podcast about like the Hollywood machine, and that's something that we're just trying to subvert and kind of just, you know, make super, super cool quality content without having huge resources and, and backing and things like that. So, um, but yeah, you can find, you can find us anywhere as well at Broke Boy Media. Listen, also, if we're, if we're, if we're also plugging things that we like, Spider-Man 2 is still the greatest superhero movie of all time. And I'm talking the original Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. That's not true, Emmanuel. <laughs> it is the greatest superhero movie of all time. Oh, no. You're going to have to bring me onto a podcast and talk about that because we'll duke it out. Man, we can't. They haven't won any awards. The uh, uh, Spider-Man 2 won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bring me back. Let's okay. do it. You know what? You got me, man. Okay. Best that, visual I don't want to watch those again, though. Just the second one. The second one. We will save Spider-Man 2 just for you, Emmanuel. Yes. So oh, I'm so excited. We can bring you back to talk about that. But nice. uh, okay. You can find me at Brittany Blue Eyed on Instagram. I don't understand Twitter. Final Fantasy VII, the remake, is out April 10th, but they have started releasing a bunch of gameplay and cutscenes from the video game uh, on YouTube right now that I have been watching religiously. Guys, this game is awesome. Please, please, please play Final Fantasy VII, the remake. It's, I, I mean, people think it, the original one was one of the best Final Fantasy games that ever came out, and I think the remake is really holding up, but just adding this whole technology level that they didn't have back when it came out in 1997. So that, I need to plug that. Love me some Final Fantasy. Oh my god, I'm so excited. For me, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Andrew the Nuno Twin on Twitter as just Andrew Nuno, and then a project that I want to plug right now is uh, my upcoming web series Bordered, which Emmanuel actually helped direct an episode of recently. We're in the middle of of shooting our first season. Uh, we are a little bit, a little bit of pause mode right now because of uh, what's going on in the world. But uh, we're hoping to um, continue filming whenever this all blows over. So we will, I'll keep you updated on that. Could be a month, could be three. We will, we will see what happens and, and just hope that everything kind of finds a, a resolution soon. Um, as far as a recommendation, I saw this Spanish language film like three days ago. It's called Como Caído el Cielo. And it's, um, it's a comedy. Like it's not... It's not going to win any Oscars. It's not going to get any awards. But it was like, it was a surprisingly good film with a lot of heart. It's about this old Spanish singer uh, named Pedro Ifante, who's brought back in like modern day. And angels give him a chance to like enter the, the life of a guy that was also a womanizer. And he has to like fix this guy's life. And if he fixes his life, he gets to go to heaven. If he doesn't, he goes to hell. So yeah, it's, it's a surprisingly good film. So if you're looking for like a nice two-hour lighthearted comedy, there you have it. Uh, I do just want to, you know, bring attention to the fact that like, I know that we're all in the middle of a really interesting situation, and especially right now, the, the film industry is being, uh, I mean, entertainment in general is taking a hit. And so it really does suck because the, the three of us right now that are on, on this episode, you know, we're all either actors, content creators, and, and we've all felt the effects of this, and as, as I'm sure, uh, you know, everyone that's listening has it's not exactly how I think any of us would have wanted to spend 
our 2020. But now more than ever, it's really important to, you know, see films, support your artist friends, because especially now more than ever, it's going to matter in ways that you you would never know. So so please keep that in mind. And and with that being said, thanks again for tuning into the Academy Arguments. We will see you next time. And please remember that when you're stuck in quarantine and you're looking for ways to cope, whenever you see a movie, there is hope. Ooh, boom. Drop the mic on that. <laughs> Bye, guys. Later. The Academy Arguments was created by Brittany McHugh and Andrew Nuno. It is produced by Brittany McHugh, Andrew Nuno, and Adrian Nuno. It is edited by Brittany McHugh, and the artwork is by Olivia Jensen. If you liked what you heard here today, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. It really helps the show when you do. If you didn't like what you heard, then give us a four-star review and torture us over why we couldn't just get that last star. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or suggestions for an upcoming movie choice, you can reach us at our email, academyarguments at gmail.com. You've seen the movie? Yes. Okay. Okay. That would be hilarious if I didn't. Oh, man. And you're just, like, taking guesses throughout the whole Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.